You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Well, good morning, church family. Hey. Hi. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks, sir. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all of you as well, all of you mothers, I should say, out there. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Uh, we kicked off a, a new series this past week, and uh, if you didn't know, to help this series, I asked my wife to come help teach me and teach, teach us. <laughs> uh, but no, all seriousness, we're talking about relationships, and so I asked Amy to come and be a part of this conversation uh, to hear her voice and um, to kind of speak into this with us. So. We've been talking about relationships. We've been talking about all kinds of relationships, not just one kind of relationship. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about friendship. We're talking about how to interact with coworkers. Um, and just to recap a little bit, last week we talked about knowing and loving God and how important that is for anything, really, that you do in life because that is our purpose. And so if you don't get that right, um, then your relationships will never function and function in the way that they're supposed to. And it'll be like building a house without a foundation, we said. Yeah, yeah. So, and much of our conversation last week kind of uh, began uh, in a framework around Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 36, Jesus is teaching. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This is somebody coming to Jesus. They're actually trying to probably catch him in this moment. And he said, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophet. So last week we kind of looked at this idea of love the Lord your God with all your heart. And that was kind of our beginning point. And now we're getting to the second portion in Scripture where he says to love your neighbor as yourself. And so I think the question moving forward for us this morning in kind of part two is what does Jesus mean by love your neighbor as yourself? What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, I think we have to understand that he's implying when he says love your neighbor as yourself that we know how to love ourselves. We know what that means and that we all do that. But as a Christian, self-love, to use a common term, is going to look different than it would look for a non-Christian. Yeah, as a matter of fact, if you, if you were to Google, like, how, how do I love my, my spouse better, or how do I love my coworker better uh, by loving myself, uh, in the secular things, you, you come across all sorts of things across Google, which I know that, that, that surprises all of us, right? <laughs> you come across all sorts of things on, on Google. Google. But, but I, I think what, what we're kind of getting at this morning is that there's going to be two very different answers uh, to the question of how, how does a Christ follower love themselves and love their neighbor, neighbor, and how does a person who doesn't follow Jesus love themselves and love their neighbor? And so there's really two biblical frameworks that we're going to kind of unpack this morning to answer this question uh, of what does Jesus mean by love your neighbor as yourself. There's two biblical frameworks, okay? So the, the first one is that the Bible assumes that people hold themselves in high regard. So the Bible assumes that people, all people, hold themselves in high regard. And we'll unpack what that means. That's, that's, that's kind of biblical framework number one. The second framework that we need to understand is that self-love is formed from our identity in Christ. So Amy, let's, let's look at premise number one, framework number one, because I think that's the one that at least when I started thinking about this 
talk and started you know, going over with Amy, that's the one that I go, do they? I mean, really, like, do, do all people really hold themselves in high regard? So when I say that, what, what flies out at you? Well, I think we first have to acknowledge that Scripture isn't saying that all people have high self-esteem or that everyone has confidence. Yeah. Certainly, we acknowledge things like anxiety, body image issues, and just a whole other slew of issues that one could have with themselves. But the truth here that the Bible is getting at is that, for the most part, all people value their lives, <clears throat> excuse me, and we all ultimately want the best for ourselves. And yeah. so that's what he means when he says that. Yeah, and so what we're going to do is we, we don't want you to just take our word for it. We're going to walk through some scriptures, and, and, and we're going to, Lord willing, reveal in these scriptures that the Bible kind of starts at this place where people don't need to be told to lift themselves up. Mm. You know what I mean? Like most of us in this room don't struggle uh, to be selfish. We are selfish, right? Like when you wake up, even the most selfless people in this room, you're pretty selfish. I mean, it's just reality. Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. But here, let's, 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 let's go through this. Here we go. So we're going to start off. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Most of you, if you were raised in the church, uh, maybe you went to a, a vacation Bible school or something, you're going to know this story. But I think it's extremely important that we kind of walk through the details of the story. So Luke chapter 10, we're going to begin there in verse 25. And this is Jesus telling the story of the Good Samaritan. And interestingly enough, he's actually telling this story in correlation to the kind of similar question of like, hey, what's the greatest law? Like, how, you know, which commandment should we stick to? And Jesus kind of looks back at this person. So here he is, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. That's n number one, you should never do that. You're going to lose, right? Anyway, he says, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what, what is written in the law? How do you, and he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replies. Now do this, and you will live. But, now this is, again, his second point. I wanted to test Jesus, and then he like goes on and be like, all right, hold on, no, no, no. Let's, let's try to, what, what's this really mean? He says, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, okay, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies this way. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side of the road. Like, not even wanting to get close to this person. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And it says, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three, and this is Jesus speaking, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replies, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now there's, there's 
a whole slew of things that we could teach in this text because it's, it's very rich. But I, I think the, the most prominent thing for our context this morning is that you need to understand that Jesus is using this story, talking to someone else, trying to explain this idea of what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself, and Jesus puts most of us in that first two categories. Like, he says there's somebody who falls on hard times, and generally speaking, what people are going to do is when that person falls on a hard time, they're going to be too busy, they're going to have too many things going on, so they're going to get on the other side of the road, they're not going to slow down for the problems of the person who's fallen on hard times. They're going to keep going, and then Jesus throws a massive curveball, and he talks about the Samaritan. Now, if you don't know this story, or you don't know any context of the Old Testament and really New Testament times as well, what you need to know is that a Jewish person and a Samaritan were not getting along. They wouldn't have jived. As a matter of fact, oftentimes when they would have had to travel through Samaria, a Jewish man specifically would have gone all the way around, crossed over a river just to avoid these people because they didn't get along. They didn't jive well together. And so Jesus throws out this person, this Samaritan, this less than in the eyes of a Jewish lawyer, kind of this is who he's talking to, and says, these two people cross on the other side of the road to avoid helping because they're selfish. They were too busy. But the Samaritan stopped. The Samaritan helped. And, and we can even see how this expert thought so little of the Samaritan. When Jesus says, like, who, who does the right thing? What is the, 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 the expert in the law says, this is the one who had mercy. He wouldn't even say the Samaritan. Samaritan yeah. So this really just reveals to us in this first text that people, generally speaking, do not value others over themselves. They don't value others over their time. They don't value others over their money. It really isn't natural for the average person to lift somebody else up over themselves. This is kind of where the Bible begins. Mm-hmm. Right. And God even specifically says, you know, in marriage, yeah. maybe especially in marriage, right? Thanks, appreciate that. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> that we have to lift our spouse up. Ephesians 5, 28 and 29 says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. Yeah. So Paul lays that out really clearly. Like, the expectation is that people value themselves. Most of us in this room don't have an issue with saying, you know, I really like myself. You know what I mean? Like, even if you look in the mirror and you don't like something, you, generally speaking, you care for your own life. Like, you, you wake up every day and you go through the routines. There's another one. I think this is important. In the Ten Commandments, you, you think we could be talking about just New Testament or something like that. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's go to the Ten Commandments. The first Ten Commandments, uh, the first four, I should say, of the ten, were given to us to kind of... Um, look towards God, but then the latter six, the, 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 sec, the, the, the second portion, the first four kind of refer to God, the second portion, the six, they kind of deal with humanity's proclivity to choose themselves over others. Let's, let, if you don't believe me, let's go back and look at it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Now, think about this in the context of, uh, of maybe um, a parent giving their child instructions. You give them instructions to do what? To keep them safe, to make sure they live good lives, to make sure that they're doing the the right things. And these are kind of what the Ten Commandments do. They're things for us to live better. And so this boundaries. Yeah, boundaries. Good one, right? And so God gives the people of God boundaries. First four pointing towards relationship with Him. Second six 
uh, kind of going to a relationship with each other. It says this in verse 12, Exodus 20. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Then he goes, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Notice he didn't say, hey, make sure you build up your self-regard for your life, for your health, for your prosperity. Matter of fact, what he says is make sure that you recognize all of the things around you and you treat them well. Right. Clearly, God knows that we have this tendency in us to value ourselves, at least generally speaking, right? So what about those exceptions? What about people who do struggle to see their own worth? What do you say to people who don't think they're worth much? Yeah, so I think this is where we get to that second framework. So the first framework, remember, is is the, the Bible kind of begins at this place where all people have a high regard for their own life. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they like themselves, that they uh, look in the mirror and and see something that they really appreciate. But generally speaking, all people value life. We we just, we hold on to it. We cling to it. And so someone who was maybe struggling with their their own self-worth or or, um, their identity, so to speak, I I would say goes to our our second framework. And this is where uh, we see that self-love is formed from our identity in Christ. So several years ago, man, you know, Time is a funny thing because it doesn't seem like that long ago, but over 10 years ago now, right. we were, uh, Amy and I were uh, plugged in at a church in Atlanta, and uh, we were walking through the book of Ephesians together, and uh, a pastor, Pastor Alan Scott, a good friend of ours, great mentor, just poured into our congregation, poured into us, and we walked through this book of Ephesians for an entire year, and every single sermon, now, Imagine a sermon series with the one book of Ephesians for an entire year. Every single sermon, he kind of put it around one idea. Now, there was certainly other things that happening. If you go through the book of Ephesians, there are thematically, there are changes in the book of Ephesians. But it always landed on one idea. It was this idea of being in Christ. Yeah, it was, um, he drew a lot of his, these truths from this book by a man named Watchman Nee called Sit, Walk, Stand, and it talks about how first you have to be seated in Christ so that you can walk with Christ and so that you can stand up for Christ. Um, But one of the things that he would regularly read over us was 1 Corinthians 3 through 12. I mean, Ephesians 1, 3 through 12, sorry. Um, And I just want to read that for you guys. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through jesus christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. 
In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who walks in all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. He would read that and then he would say, people of God, you are blessed, you are chosen, you are redeemed, you are holy, you are blameless, you are sons, you were predestined, you were forgiven, you were redeemed, and you are a co-heir with Christ. And it changed our life. That was dope. That was like, quick. You can breathe now. That was good. good Thanks. Job. I do spoken word in my That's free good. time. Ooh, I just grabbed your mic. <laughs> spoken word in my free time. That's good. JK, I don't. But I, I, don't. I think the reality is those, those truths aren't just found in Ephesians. Right. I think those truths that you, in Christ, you are chosen, you are adopted, you are redeemed, you are his son and his daughter. And so if anyone in this room is struggling with their, their self-worth, their identity, who, who they are, I, I would push you, urge you, beg you, plead you to go look at the cross. Amen. Because I, I think that is where we find our, our true identity. Uh, I've, over the years, at times, had too much confidence in my own self. Like, the, the, there's part of, uh, I guess, my personality type and maybe the way I was raised or whatever, it's just always kind of walking around with a big chest, like, hey, be who you are, but... Several years ago, uh, after obviously coming face to face with, face to face with Jesus, I, I I was just found myself in this place of going, Chris, maybe you need to shut up. Like maybe you need to understand that your works are like filthy rags. Like the best thing that you can put out is still just bad. Like it's not good, and you need to rest. That, that book, Watchman Nee, uh, talks about sit, walk, stand, and, and sit is to be positionally in Christ. And what I need to do, and what I think all of us need to do, is we need to understand that before we can stand for Christ or walk with Christ, we are positionally seated in Christ. Like, you did not earn anything. And the reality is, we really aren't worth that much in our flesh, but what's so beautiful is that the creator of the world put a price tag on you with his son. And so if you're struggling to, to believe that you're worth something, I would have you look at the cross. Because I, I, a pastor just uh, tweeted this this morning. He said, how many of us would go into a marriage knowing that our spouse, our bride, or our, our husband was going to cheat on us every day? The answer would be none of us. And his kind of response to that and underneath the tweet was, but Jesus does it. Like, think about that. That he calls you into a relationship with him knowing that every day you're going to mess up. You're going to drive the proverbial nail into his hands and feet every single day. But it's important to know that he still paid the price for you. Like he still loves you even while you're doing that. And so I, I think one of the most important aspects of understanding this concept of love your neighbor as yourself is to understand that Jesus loves you. And so even if you struggle to love yourself, even if you struggle to see worth, Jesus sees worth. 
Jesus values you. And so that, that's kind of where our, our bottom line is this morning, that in order to love people, we need to love ourselves. And so in order for you to kind of grasp this concept of what does it mean to love my spouse? What does it mean to love my friend? What does it mean to love a coworker? You need to grasp the idea of loving yourself. And not in like this like Google the best secular book, how to love yourself better way. But in a way that comes face to face with the reality that we have, looking at that first biblical framework, we lift ourselves up on pedestals. Mm -hmm. Like we do, we value our life. But the reality is we need to value our life in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, as Paul would say, is maybe we need to value our death in Christ. Mm. Like we need to follow him throughout all things. And so I, I would say that if you're in earshot this morning and you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you want to have a better relationship with your parents, with your friends, with your spouse, with anybody else in your life, I would say that give your life to Jesus. That means to turn from that high regard place, that place where you hold yourself in high regard, and put your faith in Jesus. Like repent and believe in him. And that's going to get you to a place of understanding. So anyway, in order to love people, we need to love ourselves. Right. Because it's when we understand who we are in Christ that we can really function the way he has called us by loving people. The world teaches you it's about confidence. Scripture teaches you it's about humility. Mm. The world will teach you it's about searching within yourself. Christ will teach you it's about sanctification. And so there's, it's just so different. But we have to understand who we are in Christ in order to understand how our biblical frameworks are going to fit together. Um, so first, the Bible assumes all people hold themselves in high regard, and self-love is formed in our identity in Christ. And it's actually that first framework um, to answer a question we, a rhetorical question we asked earlier. It, this is apologetics. This is yeah. how we defend our faith. Yeah. Um, it helps us understand where non-Christians are coming from. Um, it, help, it helps us understand how they function in relationship, and it helps us understand why our way is better. Yeah, because I, I think that, that statement, in order to love people, we need to love ourselves. You could be going to church, and you could go, well, that sounds like really, you know, frou-frou talk. You know what I mean? New like that, that's Yeah, new age. It's like just watered-down gospel. But I think when you actually get, go through Scripture, God says, like, we are to love ourselves, not because... Amy's worth it, or because Chris is worth it, but because Jesus says Amy's worth it, mm -hmm. but because Jesus says Chris is worth it, mm -hmm. and so that's when we need to understand who we are, who you are this morning. Even in the midst of all your brokenness, you have value by the creator and the king of the world. That's huge. That's a big thing, and, and, and I think the slippery slope, you mentioned apologetics, is to kind of look around and go, okay, there are other people who seem to love others well. Uh, but I think the, the difference that we're talking about this morning kind of goes back to week one, and I'd encourage you if you weren't here last week to go watch that, but it kind of comes back at if they don't know true love, they're getting like this form of love, and there, there's some semblance to it, and I can go into all kinds of theological reasons why that is, and the, the, the bottom simplest phrase is this idea of common grace. Like Jesus, you can go through Colossians 1. Jesus holds all things together, like right now. We exist. This world is, is functioning. The air conditioning is coming on. The lights are going on. You're breathing, and you're not even thinking about it 
because of Jesus. That's not just like a Sunday school answer. Like, because of Jesus, Colossians 1.15 says, you exist even now. It wasn't just that you were knit and, 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 and formed in the womb. That's because of Jesus as well. But you continue to exist because of Jesus. And so when we begin to understand that even those outside of Christ, they continue to exist. And the Bible would say like they exist in opposition to Jesus, but they continue to exist because of Jesus. That should be a boom moment. Like, what about the, God, the, love, of, you know, the, the love of God? Well, that's the love of God. Like people who are spitting in God's face saying, I'm going to let you live today. Mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna, matter of fact, I'm going to make you live. I'm, I'm going to give you breath every single day in the hopes that one day your soul will awaken and see that I love you, that you have value. And that is a glorious picture from our Savior. Would you agree? Of course. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting preachy. Okay, here we go. Uh, so w- what we wanted to do this morning is, uh, in case we haven't given you enough maybe tools in your tool belt, what we, we wanted to give you some practical tools that, that we found very helpful in our own lives. Because I, I think we can come into one of these types of uh, sermon series and go, okay, actually I had somebody say to me, I said, well, Chris, all you're talking about is marriage. And I go, Dang it, graphics, because that's not what we're talking about, right? Like, I know the graphic has a cute little, you know, little thing up there. Cake topper. Yeah, you, cake topper? Yeah. Cake or topper. What's, what's the new hip one? Like, cupcake. No, that's not hip. Anyway. So, um, uh, anyway. Uh, uh, we need to be able to kind of flesh this out, how we love ourselves in all of our relationships. So, in order to love people, we got to love ourselves. What does this look like in our, all of our relationships? So, last week... We call them fighting tactics because we believe that all of our relationships are spiritual battlegrounds, that Satan is looking to attack your relationships. If you are leading for Christ in your life, I promise you, Satan has a plan and schematics sitting on his desk, the proverbial desk, I would say. I don't know if he actually has a desk. Don't take that and, you know, tweet that out there and say, our pastor thinks Satan has a desk. But he is making plans to ruin your relationships. Yes. And so you need to not only be physically fighting for your solid relationships with, with friends, with spouses, with coworkers, but you need to be spiritually fighting. Like you need to be going before the Lord saying, here's what we're going to do. Let's go. And here's kind of what God has pointed us to. So Amy, would you walk us through these? And I'll kind of chime in. Absolutely. Our fighting tactic number one is to know that God loves you. Know that God loves you. Like why is that so important? I'm switching up on here. We didn't plan this at all, by the way. I'm, what do you want me to say? (laughs) (laughs) So, so we are to know that God loves us. And we've, if you haven't heard it this morning, I I hope that you've heard that you need to know that God loves you because that's where you find your your self-worth. That's where you find your value, your Mm -hmm. identity. And so you could be going throughout life. And you could try to find, pretend you have a cup, right? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to stand up and walk around, right? This is your bucket. This is who you are. This is all that you exist, right? And what you're going to be doing is you're going to be going to all these places in the world going, hey, fill my self-worth up. Mm. Like, go to this relationship right here. Go to this, you know, addiction here. Go to this video game here. Go to this self-help book here. Go to this class. Let me get a degree here so that I can feel like I value to myself, and I, I think maybe even 
to the world. Mm-hmm. Like, so that the, the world can begin to see the shadow of me being filled. But what I would say is that this right here, your cup will overfloweth in the King James, right? When you know that God loves you. Like, when, when that is all that matters, you don't need anybody else's stuff. Well, all those other things will leave you empty anyway. Right? They're not that was for dramatic effect. That was like you dropping the mic. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Nobody else thought it was funny. They thought it was rude, apparently. I apologize. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, thank you. <laughs> so that's fighting tactic number one, in my opinion, is that you need to know that God loves you. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't own that, you're going to try to find your self-worth, your identity, your value in all sorts of places. And I don't care if you're six, and I don't care if you're 60. That's the truth. Gospel. Amen. Next. Fighting tactic number two, receive his word. This means to be in the word and also to take ownership over it. Yeah. Like we did, um, like I just did with that passage in Ephesians. Um, Pastor Allen would tell us to, he actually gave us little cards um, that said those words. And so we were supposed to get into the habit of reading those words over ourselves and reminding ourselves and walking daily in that truth from that place of victory. Yeah. from God's word and nothing else. Yeah, we, we took students to Passion Camp a couple of years ago, and uh, Jake Douth, are you in the room? Is it still on your phone? No. The, the stickers? stickers? New phone. Okay, anyway. It's been, you know, we've slept since then, so we've got a new phone. So anyway, <laughs> so Louis Giglio was preaching at Passion Camp, and uh, he was talking about this idea of value. Uh, I think in many ways we all struggle with it, but Gen Z, I think, has also kind of trying to feel it out. Teenagers, you know, they always struggle with Where do we find our our self-worth, our identity, all these things. And so he did the same exact thing with what Pastor Allen did. He actually had stickers kind of printed out each night, each session. It said chosen, adopted, redeemed, blessed, you know, all these things. And many of our students, Jake, uh, Jake was one of them, would put these things on their phone. Uh, Amy, in, in, at our house, if you go to our mirrors, she'll find, you'll find scriptures that she's written on a, a note card or something. And she will put them on our mirrors. And I think it's because when we go, like the Bible, uh, churches talk about, read your Bible, read your Bible. We write a devotional. Read your devotional. Read the devotional. Get into God's Word, right? But how often do we talk about, now, don't read that thing like Catcher in the Rye. Like, don't read that thing like just some good, you know, Harry Potter book. I just said Harry Potter in church. Somebody Jeez. just got freaked out. So, but here's the thing. The Bible is God's Word. And so we're not just reading it just to like theologically walk through who God is. We're receiving his word. Scripture would say, 2 Timothy would say that it's like the breath of God breathed into us when we hear from him. And so receiving his word is our fighting tactic number two. And you could leave here going, yeah, the pastor told me to read our Bible. Well, that's profound. But I'm asking you to not read your Bible. I'm asking you to let God speak into your life. Yes. Because when you receive his word, that will change who you are. That will change your understanding of yourself, and that will change every relationship that you have. So finding tactic number one, know that God loves you. Finding tactic number two, receive the goodness of God. Let me just add one thing. You talked yeah. about hearing God's word, let God's word speak over you. Yeah. In times when you cannot hear God's voice over you, sometimes it can be so beneficial. And even in times when you, when you are walking close with him, use your own voice. Read his word out loud over yourself. Yeah. Because there's power in your voice. That's that's God brought the earth to being by yeah. speaking. And so use his words to speak them over you, to remind yourself who you are in him. That was good. Pretty good. 
uh, I was talking to um, a pastor, and we were talking about, you know, one of the most important hires that churches can do. Oftentimes we think, oh, it's the, the senior pastor, which it is. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's children's ministers, there's youth pastors, there's worship pastors, there's creative arts people, all that. And he said it was the worship pastor. And I was like, oh, he's going to talk about worship wars, because I don't care what church you're in, you're going to have one, right? But he said, no, 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 here's the thing. Pastor, you need to learn that your folks likely aren't going to remember what you say in 10 years. It hurts. I put a lot of work in this. But you're not going to remember what I have to say in 10 years. But here's the truth. You're going to remember the songs that we sing in 10 years. Mm-hmm. I was riding down the car, right, riding the car the other day, and a friend of mine just gave me some CDs from like 15 years ago, uh, you know, back when people made mixtapes. I had them on cassettes at first, and then we transferred them over to like CDs. And uh, which, by the way, did you know that sales for um, uh, uh, vinyls have actually surpassed CDs now? That's a fun fact for the day. But anyway, uh, I was listening to a CD, and I hadn't heard this song in 15 years, and I'm riding down the road, and I knew every word to the song. Every single word. And I hadn't heard the song in 15 years. And in that moment, it was just reinforced that the things that we sing matter. And so, Hunter, where are you? I applaud you. I appreciate you because Hunter doesn't just go, man, how do we choose the coolest song? Hunter goes, what does this song teach us about the Lord? Like theologically, what are we proclaiming? And so I think going back to your like speaking or singing those things over you, like receive his word. Sometimes we need to do that. That's why we read scriptures in service. Anyway, so number three. Fighting tactic number three, learn who you are. Okay. Are you doing this part? No, go ahead. Take it over. You got it. We brought two books with us, two books that we have found really helpful for us. The first one um, is super popular right now because it's about the Enneagram. It's called The Road Back to You by Dr. Ian Morgan Cron. Um, Keep going. And the other one is The Five Love Languages, who I'm sure, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with. Um, and this teaches you how you receive love, how you can give love. What are you going to do? Yeah, so I, I think, first off, we want to say that these aren't the Bible, right? Uh, no. So uh, They don't take the place of Scripture. If you go to some Reddit, you know, form, and it says that one of these are crazy, you know, that is what it is. So <laughs> uh, we found them very helpful, and, and let me tell you why uh, helpful. So The Road Back to You is a, a book uh, that unpacks this idea of the Enneagram, and it's kind of like a personality test kind of thing, and, and I don't know if you know this, but my wife and I are very different, like... They probably haven't noticed. They haven't noticed at all. No one. Uh, And and so the Enneagram takes the nine characters of God as if there were only nine. But if there were only nine kind of characters of God and says the reality is kind of all of us have all of his character in us because of the image of God. But it highlights one in each of us. And so I'm an eight on the Enneagram. And I'll just I'm going to read some statements. And this is kind of like a know your pastor better moment because this is me. Right. I'm an eight. Here it is. There's some other eights in the room, and you're going to, you know, just feel vindicated while we read this together. It says, number one, I have been told that I'm too blunt and aggressive. Number two, and, and somebody's supposed to laugh or chuckle at that moment make me feel better. Number two, doing things halfway is not my spiritual gift. Number three, I enjoy a good verbal skirmish just to see what others are made of. Number four, in relationships that matter to me, I insist on being honest about conflicts and staying in the fight till things are worked out. Number five, it's hard for me to trust people. Number six, justice is worth fighting for. Number seven, I can sniff out other people's weaknesses the first time I meet them. Number eight, saying no isn't a problem for me. No, which is really easy. Number nine, I welcome opposition. Bring it, is literally what it says. 
Number 10, I make decisions fast and from the gut. Number 11, I don't like it when people beat around the bush. Number 12, I'm wary of people who are super nice. So if you're super nice, I've just got, a, I've got your name written on a list. I'm just kidding. But I think here's the thing. Here's the reality. This book has helped me understand who I am in health, who I am in unhealth. And I, I think it's also helped me understand my wife. Because uh, as an eight, I think I'm right about 99.9% of the time. And that one per- that 0.1% is when you're sleeping. Yeah, right? So <laughs> it's not necessarily that I think you're wrong. I just think my way is better. And so some people go, well, Chris, that's just a terrible, sinful thing. And it might be. But here's what I've learned. When I learn more about a one, which is my, my wife, I've learned that she's not wrong. She just sees it differently. I heard Andy Stanley say it like this. There are nine normals. So those nine numbers, there are nine normals. And uh, working with people in the past who have been different numbers, I go, oh, I see why you are that way because you're this number. Oh, I see why you do things this way because you're this number. But it also helps me to understand as an eight, I can be a little intense. And that's not intentional. Like Katie Kemper is an eight, right? And she's intense sometimes. I love it. I love that she's like direct, like get, get, tells me when I'm wrong about something. I need that in my life. But other people go, wow, that dumb, Chris, you're a little much. And I'm like, am I? Yeah. I mean, this is just me, right? I thought I was being nice. But I, was, I was smiling. What yeah, exactly. Don't you know that I was trying to be a nice guy? Anyway, <laughs> uh, these two books, Road Back to You, The Five Love Languages, I think will help you determine, number one, who, who you are, and it'll help you understand other people as well. So, fighting tactic number one, know that God loves you. Fighting tactic number two, receive his word. And fighting tactic number three, learn who you are. And so, those three things together, I I think, kind of help point you back to a place where if you will love yourself, then you can love others well. And we love ourselves by looking to Jesus and understanding who we are, who our identity is seated in.